I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning, if you will, to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Now, I know what many of you are thinking, and that is, he forgot the offering. Well, when we're finished, you know why I have not forgotten the offering. Because this is a message about money. And I want to impact you by the Holy Spirit's design before the offering will be taken. Seriously, I don't want to manipulate any of you in any way about money. But this text in the providence of God is about money. It's about giving. And as we work our way verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark, almost in chapter 13 by now, we come to a text about giving. Now, if you're a visitor with us today, this is honestly the first time in four years of ministry, pulpit ministry, at the Bible Church of Little Rock that I have spoken about a message on giving. I know that sometimes local churches have the reputation about talking much about money. And I can't remember speaking about money thus far in our church life and preaching. And of course, in talking about money, it's always easy for a congregation to dismiss the preacher's message because they could assume he's only doing so in order to line his own pockets. And that is not the case, as God is my witness. But if I'm going to be a faithful communicator of God's truth, if I'm going to be a valiant verse-by-verse -verse warrior and expositor of His Word, then I'm going to speak on whatever topic the next passage presents to us. And we come, in the providence of God, to the subject of giving. So, if you're tempted to say, this whole message is easy for you to speak about, Think again, because I too, as a member of the Bible Church of Little Rock, am a giver. You know, it's funny, as the preacher would think about it, those who would be remunerated by the church, he receives his living from the gospel, as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, those who preach the gospel ought to receive their living from the gospel. And yet it's also true that I'm under the command of all of those passages that talk about giving, and so I give as well. So as you give to me, I give back to you. And when I give it back to you, you give it back to me. And so we're always giving to each other. And I trust that this morning's message on giving will be an encouragement. And if it is a conviction, then so be it. This particular account of our Lord and His dealing with men and women is in verses 41 to 44 of Mark 12. You listen as I read. And He sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. 
calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Beloved, at the heart of this passage is an account of someone's giving. Indeed, it's about several people and their giving. And in giving their money, they are contrasted with one another. It's the story of a poor widow who gave everything she had versus those who didn't give enough, even though they had a lot. So what you're going to hear me say today at the very heart of my message is that it's always a message of the heart. What is in a person's heart in view of their relationship to God and his stewardship of money? What is someone's view of God and his grace? And as he gives us the opportunity to be that steward of his money, what is our view of our possessions? If I have a view of God which speaks of his care of me, a trust in his provision for me, I will then give, even if it's out of my poverty. If I don't trust in his care, or if I only want to spend my money on myself, then I will not give as much back to God, whose money it is, and who it is who has given it to me, God himself, and that God who is watching what I do with his money. What about the woman in this account? What did she do with the money that she had? Well, the outline of this passage is so very, very clear. First of all, in verse 41, you have a contrast with this woman by the giving of the rich. And then in verse 42, you have, secondly, the giving of the poor, this poor widow. And then in verses 43 and 44, you have the comment of Jesus about both. Very simple. You have a, an account of the giving of some who were rich in Jesus' day, and then you have him contrasting that which with the giving of one who is poor in his day, and then you have him giving a comment about both. Let's look, first of all, at verse 41 and the giving of the rich. Notice what it says. Jesus, you remember, is in the last week of his earthly life and ministry as we come very close to the place of his crucifixion. He sat down opposite the treasury, the treasury was a place in the temple area in which there was an opportunity for people to give their money. And in fact, there were a number of receptacles. Shofars are what they were called. And they looked like shofars because they looked as though they were like trumpets. There were these receptacles. There were 13 of them, according to the Mishnah. That's the 
Jewish interpretation of the law by the Jews of Jesus' day. And these receptacles were placed all around a certain area of the temple. And when people would come in as a part of their worship, they would drop in coins into these receptacles. And they would, of course, as a regular matter of their worship, drop in from their heart what they believed God would have them give. Now, that wasn't all that they were required to do. If you look back at the Old Testament, you'll find that there were, in the broadest kind of category, two ways to give to God. You remember in the Jewish economy, there was what we could call required giving. And required giving was to be given because there in that Jewish nation, God was their king. They had a theocracy. And because the Levitical priesthood acted as those who were both the spiritual leaders and in some cases the leaders of the nation itself, even on a legal basis, God in His Word in the Old Testament required them to give a certain amount. Now there is some level of debate as to what exactly that amount might be. I believe that if you do a careful study, you would find out that somewhere along the lines of 33% was required of the Jews to give to God in the upkeep of the government, the people. Now, it may not have been 33% every year because there were some years in which they were required to give more than at other years. But nonetheless, they were required to give a measure of money to God through the temple for what we might say in our own day was their self-taxation. It would uh, almost perfectly parallel what we do today in our required giving, and that is the paying of our taxes to our government. And because God required these things, the Jews were commanded to take part in this regular practice of required giving. It wasn't an option. But it's also interesting that in the Old Testament, beyond the required level of giving, there was also giving that was called free will offerings. In fact, in one place, Moses records that the people, even beyond, above and beyond their required giving, had apparently given at Moses' request for the building of that which was praise to God such an amount that Moses had to even tell the people, stop giving. You've given so much. And it wasn't just money. It was time and talent, including treasures. They would give of their labor, they would give materials, they would give utensils, and they would give money. And there was a time where Moses saw that the people had given so much and they kept on giving and kept on giving that he had to tell them to stop giving. And indeed, he, Moses, talks about this free will offering. And so, they had a required giving and they had free will offerings. Now, in the church, at various times and seasons, the New Testament church, you will hear people talking about giving of my tithes and offerings. Now, often what they mean by that is their free will giving, their free will offering. 
But I believe if you look properly at the Old Testament, the sense of the tithe, which is just the word that means tenth, that was more often than not the required giving to the government, to the theocratic kingdom. And it would seem to me that the free will offering was very much parallel to our own free will giving today. That is why I do not believe personally that the New Testament teaches, and I believe it can be supported, there is no such thing as the tithe for a Christian. Now, if someone wants to say, well, I start in my free will giving, my offering to the Lord, that which I give to Him, I start at 10% as a basis of my giving. That's fine. I have no issue with that. But what I have issue with is when people say that is what is required of a new covenant believer. I don't believe that's supported biblically. If it's something that someone wants to use as a model, that's okay. And I think we'll discover some passages in our New Testament that will show us that the issue is not the amount per se, as though God was requiring a certain percentage, 10%, no less than that. I believe that God would have us, as a matter of the heart, in proportion to our gratefulness and thankfulness to Him, give freely, with no constraint of a minimum percentage, which is also of course, on the top end, a challenge as well. Uh, there's no top end limit either, as we'll see in this passage. You see that what happens here is that the Old Testament economy is still going on. And as Jesus sat down opposite the treasury, he began observing. And the tense of the verb here means that he was continually observing. He was just watching how the people were putting money into the treasury. Just in the natural and regular flow of life in the temple area, Jesus, God in human flesh, was observing all of the people who were coming in and they were giving both their required giving and their free will offerings to the Lord. And notice what happens. And many rich people we're putting in large sums. Now, you might ask yourself the question, as I did when I read that, how do we know they were rich? You can't just tell a, a person is rich by looking into their eyes, can you? No. In fact, there are a lot of people who want to be rich that you can't look into their eyes either. How do we know that they were rich? Well, it was probably because of their clothing. It could have been that they had very bright colored clothes on, uh, maybe they had material uh, in their clothing that was very rich in fabric. Maybe it was because they were known in the community as rich people. We don't know exactly. One way that we might be able to assume that Jesus was observing this is because He's God. And He knows who has the money and He knows who doesn't. It could have even been a, a supernatural act on His part as the Divine One, seeing into the hearts of people and knowing all about their lives and their motives. So they were putting in large sums. But now notice the contrast in verse 42. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which amount to a cent. You can see the scene in your own mind, can't you? A people, no doubt, with very expensive clothes come in and they drop in what appear to be large amounts of coins. And if it goes into this 
this receptacle, you might even be able to hear these coins hitting the side of the receptacle and flowing down into the place where it ultimately resided. And then a poor widow. Again, we don't know how it was that Jesus knew she was poor. may have been the same idea. He looked at her. He could see by her clothes. He could see that possibly she was tattered and torn in her clothing and that maybe she was poor by everybody's account because of the way she looked. Maybe she was also known in the community because of being a widow. We don't know. But we do know this. She came in to worship. Is that not important? She came in to worship God. And one of the ways that she worshiped God was by putting in two small copper coins which amount to a cent. You say, well, in our particular monetary fashion, how do we know what this translates into being? Was it someone who had $1,000 and they were the rich people and they put in $1,000 worth of coins and she put in about uh, $200? Well, what's the translation in our world? Well, if you do a study of this, what you come to find out is that the particular words that Mark uses, although he uses a, a sort of Roman Latin word, uh, which is translated from the original Greek text to speak of a very small amount of money. In fact, you remember I told you recently that a denarii was about a day's wage. And the particular word that is used here means, by its equivalent, one-sixty-fourth of one of those denarii. You say, what does that mean? Well, it could very well mean that if we had a daily wage today of $40, if someone worked one day and they received $40 for the work that they performed, then this poor widow came in and gave one-sixty-fourth of that $40. Maybe, maybe something somewhat less than 65 cents. We don't know exactly, but we know by the very words that are used and translated for us in our English Bibles, she put in what amounted to a cent, penny. Now, by, by anybody's standard, that's poor, right? By anybody's standard, that's very poor. One cent. It's really incredible to think about it. That's often... Tragically, what happens to some widows, they're bereft. That means they're left alone. That means they have no one and nothing. In 1 Timothy 5, the Bible talks about a widow indeed. That's someone who is completely bereft, completely left alone, has no visible means of support whatsoever. Uh, their family either has died along with her husband, something has occurred in that family's life in which she is completely alone. And the Bible talks specifically in 1 Timothy 5 about helping those widows. Usually those who are not less than 60, they've ministered in the church, they've washed the saints' feet, they've done what is noble, even as a widowed person, they're ministering. It's almost like this poor widow has gone in, just like one of those widows indeed, and has gone to worship God. And she puts in one cent. And then in verse 43, Jesus comments on it. What does he say? Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, 
truly is the word from which we receive the word amen from. When you say amen in a service, and some of you need to be saying it much more loudly as I preach, when you say amen, you're saying truly, truly. You're saying exactly what Jesus says. You're saying, I believe that what was just stated is a true statement. I amen that. That is true. That is right on. That is an accurate statement. And Jesus said, Amen. Truly, truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. Verse 44. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned. All she had to live on. Now when I perceive Jesus' comment on this, you can pick up key words. You notice some of the words there? Verse 43. This poor widow. Obviously it's describing her as poor, very poor. And yet in verse 43 it says, she put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. We don't even know if Jesus is restricting it to only the persons that he personally saw at the time she put in her amount. It could mean that she put in more than everybody that day. It's not restricted to that. It could be that she put in more than everybody that week, that month, that year. And do you notice the word all? She put in more than all the contributors. For they all put out of their surplus into the receptacle. They did not put in all that they owned. They took out of the surplus of what they owned some measure of funds, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned. And if that weren't enough, all she had to live on. Maybe in some ways this was why she was poor. Because every time she gathered a cent, she gave it away. Her heart was so large. Her worship was so magnanimous toward God. She was so filled with His praise that if God had told her to require of her some money to go to the government, or if God were to say to her, give out of the abundance of the proportion of your gratitude to God, she gave it all. She gave it all. You know what I see here? The issue of this text, in my mind, is the issue of not how much you give in percentages, but proportionality. I mean, there's no way that she could give as much as they gave. They actually gave a much greater amount than she did, right? I mean, it's obvious. They gave on a percentage basis much more than she gave. I mean, they may have given somewhere around 85 or 90 percent in comparison to what she gave. Maybe even been more. But what she did with what she had, the proportion of her giving was much greater. In fact, what was the proportion of her giving to the proportion of their giving? She gave 100%. You see, this text and others like it speak of a person who isn't concerned about percentages. 
They're not concerned about saying, I'm going to give 10% of my wages to the Lord. That's okay. If that's what you've set up as your level of giving, as your attitude of gratefulness and thankfulness of God, no one can look in your heart and say that you are sinning against God. You're hoarding some of that money. No one's going to say that because people can't look into your heart. They don't know. Only God knows. But when God knows, what He needs to know is out of the abundance of that which He's blessed you with, what are you giving back? What are you giving? Now you say, well, wait a minute. If I take this text to heart, what you're telling me is forget the 10%, it's 100%. How am I going to pay my bills? I mean, the light bill comes fairly regularly. What am I going to do? Am I just supposed to do like this poor widow and give 100% of my income and quote-unquote trust the Lord with the future? I don't believe that's what Jesus is referring to here. I don't believe he's saying that all Christians are mandated now to give 100% of your income. Now, if you want to do that and you want to give it directly to me, that's okay. That's all right. But if you want to keep a little bit of that back so that you can survive in this world, that's okay too. You see, the issue for a New Testament giver is not a percentage, it's your heart. It's what you have in your heart as a result of your gratitude to God. You, you, you see that you're required to pay something to the government. That's what Romans 13 says. Pay your taxes, command, not an option. And pay it fully. And trust God that he's going to supply your needs after that tax money's gone. And in addition to that, as you worship God, give of your resources, give of your time, give of your talent to the Lord out of the proportion of that with which he has blessed you. You know, if I look at this text a little bit more deeply, it's as though Jesus was saying that this woman was actually offering to God her life. Isn't that true? I mean, when you are standing there and you have one penny to your name, and you know that that one penny represents possibly one swallow of a piece of bread, and you place that penny into that receptacle, you're trusting God with your life. You're trusting God with your future. You're saying to God, I don't know where the next meal is coming from. I don't know if any money is coming in order to pay for that meal. All I know is this. I want to worship you, and my heart is so filled with gratitude that you have saved me and that you've called me with a holy calling. I want to worship you by giving you all that I have. She would no doubt need to fast, and this is what I'd call a forced fast, wouldn't you? not knowing where her next meal would come or if it would come. You see, I think Christians in our day are always and forever hung up on the percentages. Forget the percentages. Give out of the abundance of what God has blessed you with. You say, well, that's great. You haven't told me what it is. I can't tell you what it is. It's a matter of individual conscience. If your conscience pricks you that you do not give as you know you should, 
and give more. If your conscience is affirming your decisions in the area of giving, praise God and move on. Find out what the next need is and meet it. That's really what the New Testament talks about. Because giving is like the implications of the gospel. I give myself totally to God. I surrender myself to Him. I'm totally dependent upon the care of God. If He doesn't save me, if He doesn't work in me the work of sanctification, then I die. My life is no good to me unless I completely depend on the Lord. Well, shouldn't it be the same way with our money? You see, often what we might think to ourselves is a scenario like this. Well, I'll serve the Lord and I'll read my Bible and I'll do this and go here and I'll pray and I'll do all of this. But look, this, this money thing, Lord, that, that's a problem. I'm just not sure now that if I give this away, it's going to come back to me. I think maybe sometimes we become sort of practical televangelists. If we say to ourselves, I'm going to give this money because I believe in giving, it's going to come back to me. Well, there's a part of that that's true. But I need to up my level of thankfulness and gratitude to God for the sake of the gospel that says I'm going to give this money to someone or some local church or some ministry, and if it never comes back, God knows what he's doing. God knows exactly what he's doing. And he can give back to me in non-monetary ways, right? Did not Paul himself quote Jesus who said it is better to what? To give than to receive. I don't just give for the expectation of receiving. Now, will it be true that I give, and as I give, God says that it will be pressed down, shaken together, running over? Yes. But it may not always mean monetarily. I give. I have some people who give in my life, and they don't give monetarily, but I know what they do for me costs them money, ultimately. Costs them time and money. But they give. They may not always be able to give the greenbacks, but they give of their time, they give of their services, they give of their efforts, and that's giving as well. You say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm, I'm with you on this. Well, I want to turn in our remaining time to a couple of other passages that I think are very instructive in this regard. Matthew chapter 6, and boy, are we going to go through these things fast. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. These are some things regarding giving that is either... Stay away from this in your giving or do this in your giving. And I want to show you again the proportionality function of a New Testament giver. Not a 10% per se. All that you can give up to the level of what God has given you. Matthew 6.1 Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. That's a very bold and a very incredible statement, isn't it? you want to have reward, do this. If you want to have no reward, do this. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have the reward in full. Well, I guess it's time to give now. I'll allow all of those coins to fall in the receptacle. Can everyone count the number as they fall in? 
Truly I say to you, they have the reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Wow. Incredible. Just give. Just give. And do it in secret. You know who knows? The only one who should know. The Father. And he'll reward you. How about verse 25? For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. This is the answer to the previous. Because somebody might very well have said, but Jesus, if I'm to give to the poor and if it's to be in secret, who's going to know about it? If only God knows about it, my friend won't know about it. And if I have a need, then I, I can't tell my friend. And so maybe I'm going to be out some money. So what do I do? I mean, do I give this much and still keep some so I can have my own subsistence? Or do I give all of it away? I mean, what's the percentage here, Lord? I mean, we're always asking the percentages. Here's what he says. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow it is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? See, that's the issue. I mean, this poor widow, had no one, and had one cent to her name, she gave the cent to the Lord because she had a great faith. She didn't have a, a care, an anxiety, a worry about what was going to happen in the next meal, what was going to happen if those tattered clothes actually literally fell off from her body. What, God, are you going to do? No, her confidence was this. God, I know if I give in this way because this is all I have, you will protect me, you will help me, you will care for me. Sure. You say, okay, that requires a great faith. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And you know, isn't it, isn't it just like the Lord that when you give out of the super abundance of the blessing that God has given you, 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 you see a need and you write a check for it or you give money away for it, even when you're sort of thinking in the back of your mind, Lord, now, I'm, I, no one else knows about this, Lord, and this is in secret, and I want to do it, and I want to bless this person. Lord, I, I hope you're seeing this because I, I want to keep on living. And then when you do it, and what happens? So very often, not always, but so very often, a check comes to you in the mail. Someone comes up to you and says, what needs do you have? Something happens in which you are so blessed and it's always more, always more. That's the whole point. Don't worry about it. God knows everything. He knows your life. Matthew 23. This is so very crucial in the matter of giving. Matthew chapter 23. Notice again these same people. And I believe this may even be why Mark included the account of the poor widow because just a verse earlier before this text, we've already studied it, it said, look at the scribes and the Pharisees. They gouge widows. They're gouging them. It could have even been this woman that was gouged before. What happens? Verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe. You, you take uh, ten mints and ten dills and ten cumin 
and you've neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness, but these are four of the things that you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. You know, what they apparently were doing was instead of living with justice and mercy and faithfulness toward the people they were supposed to shepherd, they were counting mints, and they said, here's ten of them, I'll give them to the Lord. Here's, here's ten dill. I've done my tithe. I've done what's required. And the Lord's watching from heaven and saying, what about justice? What about faithfulness? What about mercy? Yeah, uh, you might be doing the requirement in the externals, but what about your heart? What about Acts chapter 2? Acts chapter 2. This is what Jesus taught in the Gospels. This is what was lived out in the early church. Acts chapter 2. It's an amazing thing that the early church was involved with. And this, of course, is not the kind of communism that that particular word implies in our culture. It's something much more sweet and profound than that. Acts 2.44. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. That means that none of them hoarded what they had. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Incredible. Someone has a need? Let's work toward meeting that. Look, I, I have a piece of property I can sell. Well, look, I, I have this that I can sell and, and I believe that I can make this much amount of money. How much do you have? Well, I have this. Well, let's pool our resources together. I'll sell this. I'll get rid of this. You do that and we'll be able to meet this person's need. I mean, there was such a there was such a bond in this new body of believers, this new thing called the church, that they were giving people. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16. More toward the, uh, the instruction about giving. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 16.1, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, and what day is that? Sunday, the Lord's Day, that's the first day of the week. Monday is not the first day of the week. Sunday's the first day of the week. Saturday's the last day of the week. That's the, that's the day that the Jews rested. Sunday was the first day of the week. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. Why did he say no collections be made when I come? Because Paul didn't want the issue to be he arrives and he holds out the money bag. And people throw in the cash. No, when I come, I'm not coming for that purpose. Now, yes, there are a lot of hurting churches in Jerusalem, that's for sure, and I want to take an offering back to them. But when I come, I don't want to be distracted with all of the money talk. This is probably why we do this talk only once every four years or so. Because we don't want to be distracted by that. We're not into the stuff. In fact, what I'm preaching today is the opposite. We're not into the stuff, therefore we can give it away. But here's what I want you to do. As a church, put aside and save and give on the first day of the week. Yes, that's giving. That's the pattern. That's the New Testament pattern. That's why we have an offering. That's why we offer our praise by emptying our pockets. That's worship. That's praise. And we do it at the first of the week. Now, someone has asked me recently, well, why don't we do it like they did? Why don't we put receptacles all around? You know, some churches do that. That's probably not a bad idea. But you know what? I kind of like the way we do it because it really forces us when that, is, that, that plate is passed for me to ask this question. 
Where's my heart? Where's my heart? This is coming right before me. What am I going to do with the opportunity to worship God? And you say, well, but there's some people who have a lot more they can give. I can't give all that they can give. Ah, if you were in the poor widow category, just give all you have. The Lord will take care of it. Yes, there are always going to be people who can give more because their proportion is to have more. But those who have little out of that poverty, give what you can give. Trust the Lord, he'll take care of your needs. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And this is the great text of the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 8. Now, brethren, verse 1. We wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia that in a great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. That is, I mean, how can you put those phrases in the same sentence? I mean, they're totally opposite from each other, aren't they? Somebody gave out of their deep poverty but what overflowed was the wealth of their liberality. What? kind of contradiction might that be? No contradiction at all. Somebody who didn't have anything gave all they had. That's all it says. Somebody out of their deep poverty overflowed with the graciousness, the wealth of their liberality. He says, for I testify about these Christians that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. You see, that's the New Testament pattern. They gave of their own accord. If Paul was saying 10%, he would have said it right there. He would have said, out of their abundance, they gave at least 10%. He doesn't say that. He says, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. That's why the title of the message is, Giving Until It Hurts. Because you are to give as to your ability and beyond your ability. You know what that beyond part is? That's the part that hurts. That's the part that hurts. That's the giving up to the level, boy, I really believe I've given to the Lord. No, beyond that, just a stretch, is where it hurts, and that's the giving. And they gave of their own accord. And then notice verse 4, begging us with much more urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. They were begging us to give more. Now look, I don't want to have a show of hands about how many of you want to beg for the privilege of giving more. But the principle is, verse 5, and this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Oh, one of these days we'll go through 2 Corinthians 8. There's more. The whole chapter is filled with it. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is filled with it. We don't have time. Philippians 4, Philippians 4, Paul says, Thank you for your gift to me, this monetary gift. And you know what he calls it? A sweet savor, an aroma well-pleasing to God, an acceptable sacrifice. He's using worship terms there when people give money. 2 Thessalonians 3 talks about working with your hands, working hard, so as not to be a burden on someone else. Watch out for the person who is always wanting to receive, but is very unwilling to give, whether it's work or money. 1 Timothy 5, the widows. 
Give to them. If they have no visible means of support, give to them. That's why James 1 says that pure and undefiled religion is visiting orphans and widows in their distress. That's pure religion. James chapter 5, watch out for the rich. Sometimes they give, but strings are attached. 1 John 3, if you see your brother in need and you shut your bowels to him, your compassion, how does the love of God dwell in you? 3 John 5, Pastor Hendricks preached on that. The opportunity to participate with hospitality to strangers, missionaries, those in need, meet those needs. And then finally, Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life, that's Christ, says this, I know your tribulation, Smyrna, this church, and I know your poverty, but you are rich, and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. I know what your poverty is. I know that you're poor. But stand strong, be faithful, keep giving. And when you give, when you're tested, you'll come through and here's what you'll receive. The crown of life. The crown which is life. You'll receive eternal life. Boy, when I go to heaven, I'm just wondering if there are going to be poor widows who will be far, far ahead of where I may be standing because they gazed and gazed and gazed out of their poverty. I praise God for you who give and you give to the Lord, and you give abundantly, and you give beyond your ability, praise God. And for those of you who don't, then I want to challenge you that this is a New Testament pattern for giving. Give out of the abundance of that which you've been blessed. Give, and you'll be a blessing to God and others. Let's pray together. Father, our challenge today is to give. It's to give because Jesus Christ has given his life. How, how could we not give monetarily based on what Christ has done physically and spiritually? Father, I pray that as we receive this offering now, may we give back because we can't not give. Our hearts are so filled with gratitude. It's as though we're placing our money into the very hands of Christ who gave his life for us. We give in that manner and for his sake. Amen.